أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما بقدر ذمتك في كل وقت معين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to the Safina Society Ramadan Suhoor Solo Edition podcast uh, I'll be your host for this edition Ilyas um, Welcome to the month of Ramadan We'll be continuing to put up podcasts throughout this month. Um, most of them are going to be, I think, solos. And this is uh, the first one of mine, inshallah. So getting right into the subject matter. I want to tell you a little bit of a personal background story. Uh, just by way of illustration, you'll pick up quickly, inshallah, what the subject matter is. So my parents are immigrants to the United States. Um, my father was born in Spain, in Valencia, which is a region about halfway between Catalonia and Al-Andalus. And when he was a young boy, he immigrated to Argentina with his parents. My mother was born and grew up in Argentina. They lived there um, most of their young life. They were married there. They had their first child there, my older brother. And then they came to the United States uh, where I was born. I mentioned this background because for those of you that may or may not know, Spain obviously and also Argentina, especially when they were growing up and when they entered adulthood, were very homogenous societies. Basically everyone spoke the same language. They all very much looked the same. Um, they all had very similar cultural backgrounds. My parents then came to the United States in the 1970s and when I was born and when me and my brother were growing up, something that didn't seem strange to me because obviously I knew no better, but which when I reflect back as an adult is actually quite astonishing. My parents never said a racist thing. And I don't mean that they weren't virulent racist. I mean, like, they never made a joke about someone's culture. They never made it a point to differentiate between our background and that of others. When me and my brother were kids, we had friends from all kinds of backgrounds. And there was never any, you know, dismissive statements, any commentary whatsoever on those differences. We honestly were brought up, and it's not because my parents were some kind of, um, you know, activist type people. Uh, quite to the contrary. Both my mom and my dad were very regular, simple people. It just wasn't in them to be that way. They didn't have that. It wasn't part of their uh, psyche to look for differences in people because of culture, language, physical phenotype, anything like that. Just wasn't part of their life. And so this wasn't something that they passed to their children. And so again, I grew up not knowing that this was a different from how a lot of people were. I thought that that was just regular. It wasn't until I got older that I started to realize that this is actually kind of unique. Um, uh, unique is the wrong word, but it, that it's not as common as it should be. Even more so, even more uncommon perhaps, is my grandmother, my mother's mother, 
who again grew up in Argentina, came to the United States when she was already an older person. Um, also, never mentioned anything about race or color. And I mean, she came to a country that's full of people from many backgrounds, real diversity. Never once did I hear her say anything like that. Um, did she intimate anything uh, approaching any kind of racial bigotry or prejudice? And in fact, for a woman that, until she was in her 50s, had never seen a black person in real life, only on television, never once said anything about the fact that the woman that I introduced her to, that I was marrying, was black, was Mohajaba, nothing. In fact, my grandmother loved my wife so much before she passed away, and she barely could communicate in English, and my wife barely could communicate with her in Spanish. So they only said a few words to each other that, they, that were comprehensible. And yet my grandmother had a tremendous amount of affection and love for my wife. And I bring this up because, as I mentioned, once I got older, um, by the time I was a teenager and adolescent, I noticed that not everybody had this attitude. But even more surprising was when I became Muslim. You know, this religion that has no race, no racism. That's the slogan, right? The tremendous amount of bigotry and racism, of xenophobia, of cultural chauvinism, of exclusivism that I saw among the Muslims is really shocking. Alhamdulillah, I didn't become Muslim for other Muslims. And I didn't become Muslim because I was a social activist that was looking for the religion that was colorblind. And so I became Muslim. I became Muslim because Allah guided me and Tawheed entered my heart and that's all there is to it. So it didn't affect my Iman to, to witness this. But it was disappointing. Not disappointing for the religion, but disappointed. It, may, it was disappointing, or rather I was disappointed in the way that Muslims carried themselves in this regard and 25 years into the deen i still feel the same way that doesn't really it hasn't really gotten any better and yet there's a lot of young people who um i see a lot of young muslims now who have overcome that have surpassed that to some degree and i'm proud of them but it's still it's still disconcerting to this day to see how much stock Muslims continue to put into this idea of color and skin tone and race and culture and geographic location. And if there's any message that I want to put across with this, it's you need to get over it. Honestly, if you're a Muslim and you find any of these attitudes in your heart and you find that you have any of these unwarranted bigotries in your heart, you need to get over it. Seriously. It's to your benefit. And it's honestly obligatory. The Prophet ﷺ didn't put up with any of that from his companions. And so there's no reason for you to think that you should be able to get away with it. You know, really, I, I, was, I was talking to someone about this recently and I was saying... I almost feel like if I ever see some Muslim saying something bigotry, bigoted, I feel like just addressing them and being like, you know, you sound like a stupid kafir. And that's not harsh. Because it is stupid, number one. And number two, it's, it's not from Islam. 
it's prohibited. We have the direct words of our Prophet ﷺ rebuking his own companions for saying things like that. So any Muslim that's behaving that way, he's emulating the kuffar and in a stupid way. So if you, if I, if you get caught saying something stupid, just know that if I heard you, I would tell you to your face, you sound like a stupid kafir. Because really that's the attitude of kuffar and of the ignorant from among them. And it has no place in Islam. It honestly doesn't. So I won't belabor that point any further. But just, just, just one final point. Just remember, my grandmother, who had very little education and very little multicultural experience and wasn't a Muslim, had a purer heart in that regard than a lot of people who say, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. So, at least be better than that. At least be better than that. Now, this is not the point that I wanted to bring up, and it's not the main subject. The main subject that I really wanted to talk about is the purpose of an Islamic center in the United States, or in some other Western countries if you live in one. Uh, I can only directly speak to the experience in the United States because that's where I lived, this is where I became Muslim, this is my home. But I'm sure it's similar in other Western countries. If you're a Muslim and you're living in a Western country, whether you're from a heritage Muslim family or you're from an American, either convert or second generation or third generation descendant of a convert, if you're in America... We need Islamic centers that are actually about promoting Islam in this country. It's fine to have masjids that only serve the purpose of being someplace to pray. This is perfectly acceptable and it's good and it's useful and we should have more masajid. But when you have what you want to deem an Islamic center, somewhere for the community to gather, somewhere where there's going to be community events, somewhere where members of the community can meet one another and engage each other in whatever goals the, the larger community has, you have to make it someplace that's responsive to where you live. Your Islamic center can't be some back homeland, cultural, uh, social society. That's not the point of an Islamic center. That could be, you know, a Turkish center or a Pakistani center or an you know, Arab American Heritage Center, whatever you want to call it, but there's not an Islamic center if it's not serving the purposes of Islam. If you're looking for some place where you can socialize with people from your own background so that you can help your kids meet the kids of other people from your background so that they only marry people that are exactly like you, that's not what an Islamic center is, and it's not what an Islamic center should be about. And you shouldn't be that shouldn't be the the focus. Forget about the main focus. It shouldn't be a focus of an Islamic center in this country. An Islamic center in this country needs to be about promoting Islam in this country. You need to have, and and, and it's not simply, oh, we just have uh, an Islamic center and it's open to anyone, and that's us being culturally accepting, and that's us, you know, promoting Islam and pro- promoting the Deen in our locale. You have to be active, proactive. You have to have a. It has to be something that your board and your staff are actually working towards, that they have that goal 
and that they have actual programs aimed at that. And that doesn't mean that once a year you have like something where you let you welcome your neighbors, you know, this community of thought or something where you bring everybody in your open house or something like that. That's fine, but that can't be your entire plan. You have to have a plan that's every week, every month, throughout the entire year. As one of your major goals, it's spreading this dean. Because if you're not engaged in that, if you're not engaged in trying to promote this dean, and I don't mean, if some of you you heard one of my previous solos, you know that I'm not talking about making people like the Muslims, and so somehow making yourself, uh, ingratiating yourself to the larger culture or something like that. No, I mean making this deen, making the Qur'an, making the message of the Prophet ﷺ primary in people's lives so that they accept it, so that they say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, so that Islam enters their heart and enters the society. Not simply that it's tolerated by the larger disbelieving society, but rather that the society becomes transformed into a believing society. So this has to be our goal, and this has to be what our major Islamic centers are working towards. Because if we're not doing that, let me tell you, first of all, if you do that, if you make that the project of your centers, all of the fears that people have about losing the youth, this will address them. Because the youth will be engaged in a project that increases their own iman, that shores up their confidence in their deen. And as the religion grows and spreads in this society, the more that Islam becomes part of the American scene, rather than us becoming more like whatever country we're living in, rather we make Islam part of the scene of the country we're living in, it becomes a major part of the society, less likely we are to lose our youth to the larger culture less likely that our youth growing up will see the larger culture as completely different and as maybe even more um, special or more attractive, right? So you'll instill confidence in them, in this religion, in the correctness of it, and as we spread the religion, they'll, f- they'll feel less likely to want to wanna hide their, ima- their Islam or to want to uh, walk away from their traditions, our religious traditions, and enter the greater society, right? Or, or, or disappear into it, rather. Be lost into it. So, this is what I would recommend. I think that it's absolutely obligatory. If you're part of one of these major Islamic centers, even if it's a small Islamic center, but it's more than just the neighborhood masjid where people go to pray Fajr, right? I mean, like, a real Islamic center that has programs that serves the community, that is well-funded, perhaps, make a major goal, if not the central goal of your Islamic center, to establish the deen in this country. And that includes being welcoming to people from other cultures. It includes being open-minded about who comes to your masjid, who gives the khutbah on Fridays, who is teaching the classes. It should not be that you go to masjids in diverse communities, in diverse neighborhoods, and you still only see one type of person in the masjid. And that the people in the masjid are speaking only one language other than English, right? 
this is this this doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense for there to be if you're in a neighborhood that's predominantly one ethnic group, I understand, but it doesn't make any sense for there to be in a major metropolitan area a Desi masjid, an Arab masjid, a North African masjid, an African masjid, a Turkish masjid. What part of the deen is that? I I don't I honestly don't don't get it. Like I said, if you want to have a cultural center, go fund the cultural center. But if you're building the houses of Allah, they're they're not for your cultural preservation. They're not so you can keep your cultural customs from whatever country you're from. The houses of Allah are for all of the believers, and they should be welcoming to all of the believers. And honestly, if you walk in and everything that's said is in a language that the majority of the people in the area don't understand, you're just going to drive them away. And what you're going to end up with is this, you know, these little islands of cultural uh, cultural centers labeled masajid. And yes, it's fine that Islam happens in them, that religion is happening, that people are praying there, right? But honestly, that, that can't be the goal of a masjid, especially of what we term Islamic centers, in this country, or in any Western country, or in any culturally diverse country. It just can't be the way, because it won't survive. It honestly won't survive. And it's not that people won't be coming, because for sure, there'll still be people from so-called back home, who'll come, who'll give money, who'll be big donors, who'll get on the board, who'll try to direct the message, and they'll try to keep this cultural exclusivism going. But your kids aren't going to go there. And your grandkids aren't going to go there. And they may end up going to no masjid, especially if they associate the masjid with something that's completely alien to the way that they grew up. You know, when you try to import your back home culture into this country and you try to create these enclaves, these little bubbles in the masjid where you silo yourself off and you try to preserve just your culture, your kids aren't going to buy into that. And if they grew up thinking that all, all that Islam is is the back home culture, then it's not going to form a big enough part of their life or it's going to be too much of a dichotomy between every other aspect of their life and their parents' or grandparents' culture. They're, they're just not going to be as dedicated to it. What they will be dedicated to, what they will find meaning in, what they will find uh, stru- uh, a structure that they can grow in is something that's culturally relevant to them. And I don't talk, I'm not talking about stuff that we've been hearing about for years about making an American Islam that's somehow different from Islam. On the contrary, what I'm saying is we should have an Islam that's not just not an American Islam that's different from general Islam, but also an Islam that's not Bangladeshi Islam that's different from the rest of Islam or, you know, Albanian Islam that's different from the rest of Islam. And I'm not picking on any of the countries that I've named, by the way. I'm honestly not. Furthermore, I'm not just talking about immigrants. If you go to a masjid where, unless you're African-American, you're not really welcome, that's a problem as well. It really genuinely is. Nobody's off the hook on this. The masjids, the houses of Allah should be welcoming to all of the believers. And anybody that has an issue with people who are different from them... It's your issue and you need to fix it. Because Allah did not set this, did not create, a, did not give us a religion 
that is specific to a culture, is specific to a people, or that at all tolerates exclusivism of people different from you. And this includes people that are Arabs. It, it honestly does. The Quran is in Arabic. Our Prophet wasallam was a Qurayshi Arab, but that doesn't give you exclusive rights to anything. Especially since, if we're being genuine, the term Arab is now so amorphous and so different from what it meant back then that if most people who are deemed Arabs today were to find themselves 1400 years ago in Arabia, they would be laughed at for claiming that they were Arabs. And that's real talk. And just, just go further, even if you're from Arabia today, even if you're from Mecca and Medina today, that still doesn't give you exclusive rights. It really doesn't. But let alone if you're anybody else. So, this is going to be a short one because I have to go have suhoor now and get ready for Satur uh, Fajr and get ready for the fast today. But I just wanted to take this opportunity to check in um, to make my contribution for uh, for this week's podcast and, and just to pass that message along. And this is a good time to think about it because the messages are full of people. There's people that don't usually come. There may be people that we don't usually see. You may not be in the masjid as often throughout the rest of the year as you are now. So this is a good opportunity for you to think about what you're donating towards, what kind of masjid you want, what kind of Islamic center you want to be supporting, and maybe taking further action and participating more actively in the direction that your local Islamic center takes, right? Make your voices heard. Make your voices heard not just about the parking or whatever we usually talk about, but make your voices heard in a, in a real way about making your masjid relevant to today, to your children, to future generations, and to making Islam the, the majority religion where you're at. And don't think that that's impossible. First, nothing is impossible for Allah. Nothing. And secondly, almost everywhere in the world where Islam is a majority now, it wasn't at one point. No matter where you're from, Islam was not the majority at one point. Even if you're from the Hijaz, Islam was not the majority there. It was a land full of, full of mushriks. And Islam became dominant. And then quickly, within a hundred years, Islam was in Spain. It was all the way across the Middle East, all the way across North Africa. And it was all the way to the East. And it went all the way to India, into China and all the way to Southeast Asia, and all of the places in the world throughout West Africa, throughout East Africa, all of the places in the world where Islam became a, a, the dominant religion, the majority religion, it wasn't at one point. And none of your, all of us, every single one of us, has ancestors who weren't Muslim at one point. And for some of us, it goes back well over a thousand years, and that's a beautiful thing. And for some of us, it's more recent. A few hundred years, maybe just a few decades, maybe even you're the first one to have declared your Islam. But no matter how far back it goes, you have an ancestor. Your ancestors were not Muslim. 
and then they became Muslim, and in whatever home region you're from, Islam became the dominant religion. So don't think that that can't happen in Western countries. In fact, it happened in Western countries, right? Spain is the perfect example. Sicily, perfect example. So don't think that this religion can't just spread, right? That's number one. It can happen, and even if we had no prior examples, anything is possible for Allah. So make that the focus when you're thinking about donating to your masjid, when you're thinking about becoming more active, when you're uh, capitalizing off of the gain of Iman that you get in this blessed and holy month. Make it your goal to seek the pleasure of Allah by spreading this deen. I mean, if we're here in this country, whether we're born here or whether we came here, we're here and we're not here to just gain dunya. We should be gaining the next life. We should be gaining benefits in the next life. And we gain those by seeking the pleasure of Allah, not just by, you know, getting a good job and, you know, making a living, all of which is permissible and, and actually a, a, a laudable goal. It's a good thing. But that can't be, not even, forget about our only focus, it can't even be our main focus. Our main focus has to be that Allah's word is supreme in the land where we're living. Otherwise, we're not living up to our duty. Not just that we're tolerated here, but that, not just, and let me put it a different way. Not just that Allah and His Messenger are tolerated, but that Allah and His Messenger are accepted. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And that the message that He brought, Sallallahu alayhi wasallam, is embraced and enters the hearts of people and it's manifest in the spread of this deen. We're not going to win by politics. We're not going to win by outspending other people with PR campaigns. We're not going to win by having more journalists than they have, by having any of the things that go into respectability politics. We're not going to win by that. We're only going to win by the barakah of this religion and by the barakah of our Prophet wasallam. And that happens by spreading the message and making Islam the religion of the land. And not only can it happen, it can even happen in your lifetime. And don't doubt what Allah can do. So with that message, remember me and all of, uh, all of the podcast uh, brothers and sisters, a lot of whom are doing work in the background to make this podcast happen. Keep us in your dot in this especially blessed month. Um, and remember your brothers and sisters, especially those who are suffering in places like Palestine, in Kashmir, in Iraq, in Syria, and everywhere in the world where the Muslims are suffering. Remember them, make dua for them, donate to those causes in whatever way you can, and do the work of spreading this religion here and everywhere so that our influence can grow and we can better be able to protect our brothers and sisters. It's not just about people liking us. It's about us having the upper hand in terms of us being the majority. Inshallah, if anything I said is wrong, it's only from me. 
And if there's any benefit in it, just make dua for me and know that Allah uh, granted me tawfiq in saying that. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you.